been uh, doing lots of stuff here over the last few weeks about growing up. Uh, how's it working for you? Here's the, uh, here's the kicker about growing up, folks. It's not just about learning more stuff. Who, who knows that we're already educated beyond our obedience? Put your hand up if you know that. All right. So it's actually not just about learning more stuff. It's actually about different practices. True? We actually want to end up with different practices. Now, there is no such thing as believing one thing and doing a different thing. It doesn't exist. <laughs> now, what I'm saying here is this whole notion that you could actually learn theory and then you learn the practice and that they're actually separate from each other is actually the fruit of a uh, philosophical approach called modernism, an age called modernism, all right? We're not in modernism anymore. We're in postmodernism. And one of the things that postmodernism has actually done, it's done a lot of things, some of them helpful and some of them less helpful. Uh, one of the helpful things it's actually done is it's actually identified that theory and practice are actually intertwined with one another. Like a knot in a fishing line that has been pulled really tight by a child who goes to their parent and says, can you get this apart? It's like, can't do it. Just can't do it anymore. It's so tight and intertwined with one another, you're not going to get it out. What you do is what you believe. <laughs> That's the bottom line. What you do is what you believe. And so the notion is this. This is really what I'm putting out to you. Is that what you say you believe? You actually, if you actually believe it is what you do, and what you do is what you actually believe. So... When someone, put your hand up if someone really irritated you and you got angry with them this week. Put your hand up. Be honest. All right. Jesus is watching. Okay. Put your hand up. No, nice and tall. Come on. Let's be, let's be honest about it. Okay. Put your hands down. Put your hand up if you didn't put your hand up, but you actually. Eh. <laughs> when someone does something that really irritates you and it's unjust and you get angry and you are just absolutely determined to get even with them. You can say all you want about the fact that the scripture says that vengeance is mine, I shall repay, saith the Lord. You can say whatever you want about that, right? But that's not actually what you believe if you're engaged in squaring things up. You believe something else. Now, there might, there might be a bunch of other things you believe, but you actually believe something else. doesn't matter what you say you believe. I mean, people can talk about what they believe and then what they functionally believe, but what they functionally believe is what they believe all of the time. Are you with me? So what you do and how you engage in life reflects what you believe. If you get really, really anxious and in the middle of being really, really anxious, tell me that you believe in the sovereignty of God, I might even say to you as a loving pastor, I might even say to you, no, you don't. Because your anxiety would actually be different if you actually believed that God was sovereign and he was in charge and he was good and he loved you. Are you with me? Okay. Some of you going, he's setting us up or something. So, here's the test. If you haven't done anything at all about what I've talked about over the last five weeks... If nothing has changed, you don't believe me. You cool with that? You just don't. 
Now, there's some reasons why you may not believe me. You may not believe me, and people remind me of this every now and then, and they do it in a gentle, loving way, but they say, I don't agree with everything that you say. Now, when I sometimes listen or just review stuff that I've said in the past, there's sometimes I don't agree with things that I've said, right? So I'm okay with that. I'm okay with you thinking something different. But there's lots of you that don't believe me every Sunday. How do I know? Well, I don't know for sure, but I'm predicting this because there's a whole bunch of sermons that you come and listen to and you don't do anything about it. So you don't believe me. And you know what? This is the cool bit. I don't get discouraged by that. I actually expect that's going to happen. You're going to come to church, you'll hear something nice, you'll do nothing about it, you'll say, I actually agree with Peter, when in reality nothing changes in your life and you don't actually agree with Peter. You might agree with me kind of intellectually, but in terms of what you actually believe, you, uh, you don't actually agree with me. Sometimes it gets frustrating. Sometimes it gets frustrating. But then I remember that you're sheep, all right? And I'm sheep and sheep just don't always do things that make sense. We don't always do things that are smart or helpful or wise. Sheep have a way of just kind of doing what they've always done, even when it's dumb. How do I know? Because I'm a sheep and I've done lots of things over and over that's dumb. Just keep doing it. How do I know that some of you sit there and you listen and you agree and you sing songs and then nothing changes because that's part of what I do sometimes? You know, I could ask you, and I'm going to ask you to put your hands up, but I could ask you, right? Who thinks that what Jesus says about dying to self is important and really true? I could get you to raise your hand, right? Some people already have. And then the next question would be, okay, so show me. Show me that you believe it. I could ask you another question. I could say, who here thinks it's really good to grow up and to get more mature and to not stay immature? And you'd all go, yeah, I, I believe that. I think that's right. And I could ask you, okay, so show me. If, if you say that you believe it, now those of you who have read the book of James know that I'm kind of echoing James a bit here. If you say that you believe it, so show me. And if you can't show me, you know what? You don't believe it. And, and the difficulty is sometimes that the things that we say we believe make us feel better at, about ourselves in all these areas where we're not doing anything. We're doing diddly squat when it comes to what Jesus says in a particular area of our life, but we've got this theological truth that we believe in our heads and so it makes us feel okay about ourselves. And I'll just say, well, you don't believe it because you always do what you believe. You always, always, always do what you believe. So, I'm going to stop for a few moments. Yeah, see, I've got someone crying already. It's cool. I'm going to stop for a few moments and this is, I've got kind of an all play for you, all right? Or uh, you can, if you're a thrill seeker, you can kind of chip in here. Um, and I thought I'd just make space for a few moments where any of you, 
could actually come up and you don't need more than 30 seconds for this, right? So all I'm looking for is for anyone in this church to actually come up the front. I've got a mic up here ready to go. And just to say one specific small little piece of practice that you've, that you've done that's new in the last four or five weeks. What have you changed? What's one small thing that you've changed? Are you, are you all clear about this? Now, this could be really depressing, right? Like, it just could be a long pause and I might just, I don't know, uh, walk out the side door and have a cold drink down next to the building site. But I don't think that's the case. I think that God is actually doing stuff and that a bunch of you have actually made some little kind of changes. I'm not looking for something big, just something small. What have you done differently? Have you, I don't know, have you, put, have you just read a verse in the middle of a day like you didn't do before we started this whole thing because you wanted to get more mature? Have you started, maybe you read a proverb, or I, I don't know, like just something. Maybe you set your alarm clock two minutes earlier in the morning to get up because you just want two minutes longer to read the Bible. I don't know, like just something, anything. Is, is everyone clear? Just, just nod for me if, it's, if that's clear. Is, it, everyone, is that clear? Cool. All right. He's, he wants to just come up and share something. Linda, take it away. Uh, in the last six weeks, uh, a practice that I've had that I've been pretty rusty with, I've been a little bit more frequent with, and that's speaking the word of God over myself and my family. So just scripture verses that are relevant and speaking them and speaking them like prophecy of this is what God says about me, this is the truth. That's great. Thanks. A friend and I, we talked and we agreed that we try and send each other a verse every day. That's awesome. That's great. Thanks, mate. Um, I've only done it the once, but I think because it was really worthwhile doing, I'll try and do it again. Um, so each week, there's a weekly update comes out, and one of the things is a little bit from Desiring God. Yeah. Um, and this time, I actually opened it up and read the whole um, one, and it was about why does God uh, allow suffering, or why doesn't He sometimes answer prayers? I found it really useful and I shared it with Fiona and we found it both pretty useful. That's great. Who, just quietly on there, yeah, keep coming, Alan, if they're coming down here. Um, I, does anyone, is anyone with me? Like you think someone doing something once is a good thing? Yeah, because you can't do something twice. Something very simple for men. Um, it's easy to have um, mates in the workplace or wherever, or I've even got a very good neighbour next door. But I've made an effort in the last few weeks to meet with one of you guys, and I'm not going to sort of share that person's name. But basically, we meet on a Friday morning, we get together, we talk through the issues we face in life, and then we pray together. And that's been really good to sort of develop that relationship, and that's something we're going to do on a fortnightly basis. We got locked into our calendars, and so, um, yeah, it's been great. Thank you. Right. Awesome. So you're all rushing out there, right? This is 
to not last a couple of weeks, but I've noticed from last year to this year, I sing in a, a Easter Christmas choir, and um, this year I'm really singing Jesus is Risen. It's different this year than last year. I don't know. It's just more alive. I'm growing. That's great. Well, something that stuck with me from your message last week was um, sin makes us stupid. And so this week I, um, I don't normally do this because I always just listen to worship music when I ride, but I actually listened to a whole sermon and uh, it was just, I don't know, it just filled me up. It was good. It's good. That's right. You can go next. You had a turn earlier. So something that I do... Uh, in terms of time with God is uh, walk and talk with God but I haven't been very regular with that recently so this week I've managed it every day of the week which has been really good um, and the other thing I did this week which was uh, hadn't done for a long time is connect with someone who doesn't ne- yet know Jesus I actually put my own selfishness and my time aside to do that That's good Yeah, mine is, uh, is not a finished um, thing that I've done, but this whole idea of, uh, of seeing um, what God's capable of doing in my life or in the life of the person around me, um, I often cap what I think I can do just with the things in front of me. Um, so I, I'm trying to work out, I just don't know yet what it looks like or how I can do it better, um, but I'm just trying to think of ways and work out ways that uh, I can do it in my own family. Um, that I don't have to control the people around me, but instead I get to liberate them. How can I actually set them free to be what God made them to be? Um, so I'm still being challenged. I just can't work it out yet, but, yep, that's where I'm at. Yeah. All right. This will be the second last one. The last person I'd love to be someone who's sitting there going, I'd really like to say something, but I'm really nervous and I don't normally talk in public. Can we do that? Can I have one of those people at the end? Cool. Uh, yeah, just the last few months I've been um, just really holding on to some things that I've been struggling to let go of in my life that God's uh, just been really pulling me to let go of. Um, and it's been really scary, but um, I can just see I'm just starting to let that go and just trusting in God to uh, just to to take that so yeah it's great who is it awesome yeah give this person a round of applause this is Lynn yeah you ever been up here before Lynn oh this is going to be great just hold it up nice and close here like an ice cream Just to uh, cap off this little section here, let me um, just quickly race you through this. The view of the church here is that the non-physical part of you is your heart. The Bible speaks about that as your heart. 
And when you look biblically at the heart, you actually see that it refers to the mind, the will and the emotions. Okay? And so there's a, there's a real kind of, you can see the texts up there. Uh, for will, my son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. That's the will. The emotions, therefore, my spirit faints within me, my heart within me is appalled. And uh, the classic um, line that many of you have probably heard before about the mind, for as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Uh, so the, the heart is a thinker. So the, the bottom line is, and this is an encouragement for you, is that I think any one of those aspects of the heart, and they're all kind of linked in with each other and push and pull on each other. It's not like a trivial pursuit kind of segmented kind of thing where you, you got pieces of the pie. It's like they all kind of overlap one another and interplay with one another. But the big idea here is that I think you can actually, change can actually be led by any one of those things. So, um, for example, um, you could just decide to start doing something new even when it doesn't necessarily make a whole lot of sense to you or you don't feel like doing it. And what you'll actually find is as you engage your will and you do that thing, what you'll find is your mind will start to come into line with what you're doing and your emotions will as well, okay? And I think that's true for all of those three there. So just a real encouragement for you, even if you're sitting here today and you're, you're going, yeah, it makes sense to me what Peter's saying. I don't feel like doing it, but my will's just going to take me there. All right? So just lead with the will, lead with practice, and you'll, you'll get there. I want to go back to where we were last week. Um, I want to go back to parenting. Remember, we looked at how do people grow up in the context of how do children grow up in families? Uh, and the ways that parents are actually tasked with growing their kids up. And in a very real sense, I, I mean, I was reading a, a book by Eugene Peterson this week and he actually talked about how parents play a godlike role in their children's lives. I uh, read, read this section uh, out of this Peterson book that was uh, commenting on uh, the Ten Commandments. And his kind of point was, it's pretty clear that the first half of the Ten Commandments is kind of a unit and the second half of the Ten Commandments is a unit. So you've got no other gods, no idols, don't take my name in vain, have a Sabbath and prioritise me. And then the fifth one's kind of a random one. It's like parents, honour your parents and obey your parents. Uh, it's a weird, weird one. So uh, Peterson comments on this. He says this, he says, The appropriate disciplines that train us from disobedience to or incomprehension of parents into a way of life that honours father and mother also develop a way of life that honours God along the lines commanded by the first four words. This God who is beyond our understanding and who is also well known for getting in the way of getting our own way. That is why the dishonouring of parents is taken so seriously in the Hebrew community. Listen to this. Cursing God and cursing parents fall under the same sentence. Exodus 21. Whoever strikes his father or his mother shall be put to death. That's verse 15. Verse 17. Whoever curses his father or his mother shall be put to death. Leviticus 24. And speak to the people of Israel, saying, Whoever curses his God shall bear his sin. Whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. So what Peterson's doing here is he's saying there's these laws... Um, for parents that protect parents and the role of parents that actually have the same consequence as cursing God. And some of you probably go, yeah, it's been close, right? I, I, really, I have gotten really close to putting my children to death. It's meant to be a joke, right? 
Some of you go, no, no, it is actually, but I just wouldn't tell anyone. He, um, Peterson goes on and quotes uh, Philo, who's a, um, a Jewish philosopher around the time of Jesus. Listen to what he says. He says, For parents are midway between the natures of God and, the, and man and partake of both. Parents, in my opinion, are to their children what God is to the world, the difference being that God created the world while parents created individual beings only. So this is, this is a suggestion of Peterson um, and, and Philo, in a sense, where he's actually saying, you know what, parents actually fit in the first five because the parent's job is actually about God. It's about God raising people up and maturing and growing people. All right? Now, you remember last week we quickly looked at this. We took, looked at the fact that with humanity, we're wanting to grow people in their created likeness, which is the, the natural ways in which God's created them. So not sinful immaturity. We're just talking about growth in wisdom. We're talking about Luke 2.52 where Jesus is perfect and he grows in wisdom. So if Jesus is perfect and he's growing in wisdom, there must be a way to grow in wisdom that has nothing to do with being a foolish sinner. It's just a way to grow up. On the other side, you've got growth in redeemed likeness and that's where sins actually came into the world. Romans chapter 5, it's made people stupid and dumb. It's made them immature. And uh, what we're also doing is not just growing and needing to grow in terms of our created likeness, but growing in terms of our redeemed likeness, growing and becoming like Jesus. We looked at that one last week. We're just going to spend a little bit of time here today. Growing in redeemed likeness. Think about what we talked about last week. Parents' job is to bring the skills, the giftings out of their children to help them mature and to grow up and to keep growing. In fact, it's the job of parents to keep growing because they're all children of God. So what else do parents do? Well, parents help their kids to grow in redeemed likeness. They help them to grow in areas where they're immature and they've been made stupid and dumb because of sin. They help them to grow up. Well, how do they do that? How do they do that? Well, one of the things that they do is they teach their children to see life in a particular way. They tell them stories. And they reshape the stories. You know, the kids can come home and they can talk about something that didn't work for them, either at school or some trouble that they're in at school, and they apply. You remember this last week. They apply an interpretive grid over the way that they see that. And the parent's job is to say, hey, you know what I reckon you should do? You should put these glasses on and see the world through those glasses. So one of the things that parents could say to their kids when their kid's life feels like it's all out of control is, do you know what? And don't do it in a cheesy way, right? You've got to be able to land this one right, but land it well. But you know what, son, daughter? There's, there is a God who loves you, who's in charge of this, even though it feels so out of control to you. Now, however you want to say it, however you want to land that, you know what you're actually doing there is you're introducing the story of the universe and reshaping the story of the child. Are you with me? That's what you're doing. So, so what, what the child's doing at that point in time, and maybe there's, a, I talked a bit about this last week, but maybe there's a whole bunch of sin going on there. It's like, I just want to get them. I just want to get them, you know, and I'm just angry in my heart and I'm just going to go after them, I'm just going to hit them or I'm going to yell at them or I'm going to badmouth them to their friends. That's what I'm going to do. And maybe they've started doing that. And what's a parent doing? Well, they're coming in and they're saying, I want to introduce a new story. I want to reshape your story with the story 
um, of Jesus, with the story of the whole of human history. This kind of stuff, I think, happens really regularly at home. <laughs> you know, a kid comes home and it's like, they get bad grades, they've been lazy. What's, what's the biblical story that's actually going to intersect with that and reshape that? It's like, well, you, you've actually been given a whole bunch of talents and abilities by God and you've just been really slack about that. And God, God says in his word, he says, to whom much is given, much is required. So one of the stories that you're wanting to bring in to, to reshape the story that the child's living in about being lazy and failing is like, no, there's something bigger going on here. What's another thing that parents do to help their kids to grow in redeemed likeness? Well, they discipline them and they correct them, right? They discipline and correct them. What's discipline and correction? It's actually bringing suffering into someone's life. That's what it is. It's bringing suffering, redemptive suffering and pain into someone's life. And surprise, surprise, this is exactly what God does. You see this in Hebrews 12, 7 to 11. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? That's what God does, right? He disciplines. God will, from time to time, bring pain and suffering into your life for the purpose of disciplining you and changing you. He will let you live with the consequences of the stuff that happens to you because that's a job of parents too, right? Parents let their kids, they ought to let their kids endure a bunch of the consequences that happen to them. Now, are there times where parents ought to show mercy? Yeah, there are. And what's mercy? Mercy is getting people out of trouble that they deserve to stay in. That's what it is. Does God show us mercy? Yes, he does. But does God also let you and I just have a whole bunch of consequences to the stuff that we do? Yeah, he does. Because that's how you grow up. <laughs> now, you put your hand on a hot plate when it's on and you get burnt. Like, that's a good consequence, right? And you learn, I'm not doing that again. It's like that. You know, God lets a lot of consequences play out for us so that we will learn to do things differently. What else do parents do to help their kids to, to grow up? Well, they forgive them. That helps people to grow up. When that's handled really well, that helps people to grow up. They forgive their kids when they've blown it. They have conversations with, it, with them. They teach truth and they cast a vision of what the child could and should be. They stay connected with their kids. They walk together with their children. They grow together with their kids. Parents... When was the last time you had a conversation with your child, not just about them growing up, but about you growing up? About you getting more mature? Because that has to happen too, right? I'm not there, you're not there. I know that none of you are there. I just do. So be open about that. Appropriately open. You know, you're welcome to come up to me at the end of today's service and say, Peter, how is God growing you at the moment? And I, man, I'd love to talk with you. If you want to hear that, every now and then one of my kids thinks that I'm perfect, right? I don't even know how they get that message. But every now and then one of them says something like that and the bottom line is I just am not perfect and I'm not mature and I haven't made it and I need to keep growing. And if you think that you have made it, you're probably worse than everyone else who thinks they hasn't made it. They haven't made it. True? You just are. Like you've... 
That was like finger painting in kindergarten, right? And you just fail it. I don't even know how you fail it, right? The first thing about being human is that I haven't made it, I don't know everything, and I need to learn. Start there. One of my mates always used to say, I got kicked out of kindergarten because I cheated in finger painting. I was going, I don't even know how you do that. What's another way that you can grow kids? You can grow kids by bringing them to church, right? Because you just need to know, and this is what I was talking about earlier, you don't just teach people and grow people by telling them stuff. Like they've just got to get an idea. I'm listening to this guy at the moment called uh, James K.A. Smith and he uses this phrase, he said, people are not just brains on a stick, right? And uh, he says a bunch of really helpful stuff. One of the things that he actually says is that people actually learn things by practice. You don't just learn by someone telling you stuff. This goes back to that theory-practice divide. You don't just learn the theory and then you learn the practice. You can actually learn theory by engaging in practice. Who's ever had the experience where you just follow something that God has told you to do and you can't work out why it's so good and then you do it and you just go, oh, that's why we're doing this. Have you ever had that? It happens, right? And that's you learning theory, theology, aka theology, through doing practice. So what do parents do for their kids? Well, they tell them, here's the practices we're going to be involved in. You know what we're going to do? We are going to go to the Good Friday service of the project from 8 till 9 o'clock in the morning. And the kids go, why do we have to do that again? Like it's, it's like now we have to go to church like three times in seven days, right? Which is what I used to think when I was a kid. It's like I used to, when Christmas was on Sunday, it was like that is awesome, right? Because you get presents and you don't have to do any time to get them, right? It's just cool. But then you get like Christmas is on Monday, you just go, oh man, like I've got to... Sunday morning church, Sunday night church, and then Christmas day church. Is, is anyone with, are there any kids here that are with me with that? No, they're not. They're, they're just, uh, any adults here with me on that one? Yeah, yeah. But do you know what it says? There's, there's, there's a thing that coming to church as a family on Good Friday does, and I'm not putting a religious thing on you. Here's what it does. It says God is really important to us, and Easter is all about God. And so we, even if it's boring and we find it difficult to engage with, we are going to put an hour aside at the start of Easter to think about Him. See, Sunday morning church does that, right? You know, you can get all this religious stuff going about the Sabbath and all the rest and you can have all your debates about the Sabbath, right? But the Sabbath at the end of the day is a day where you're meant to stop doing stuff because it actually says, it actually teaches and communicates something that we prioritise God a day a week and it's like Peterson says, he says you need to have a day where you're not doing anything to notice that God's doing just about everything and that you should engage with him instead of feeling like you're the one that the world depends upon, right? Practices, practices teach things. Practices teach theology. So I would, I would ask you what are your practices that you do as a family that teach your children things about God, not the stuff that comes out of your mouth, the stuff that you actually do. Here's one thing that you could teach your family, mums and dads. Teach your family, teach your children that what God says is more important than food. 
Because that's what Deuteronomy says. Deuteronomy says that God made the people of Israel hunger in the wilderness to teach them that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. All right, so your next step after that is like, okay, if I'm going to teach my kids about the importance of hearing God and that it's more important than food, I'll leave you to decide how you're going to do that with practice because it has to end up there, right? If that's true, it has to end up there. How does, how does that land in practice in your family? It might be that you say to your kids, you need to read something from the Bible every single day, whether it's with the family or on your own. You just need to be in it. See, this is what parents do. Practices, they teach them things. Now, this is what God does, doesn't he? Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Why? Or just do it, will you? Trust me. I mean, how many times in the Bible does God tell you just to engage in practice? Like, do stuff. Engage your will and do stuff. Don't loiter, right? That's the Proverbs thing, right? The dude's loitering around near the adulteress's house. Don't be an idiot. Don't loiter. Find something to do. Find a practice to engage in. Don't just hang around not doing anything. Now, I wonder if you've noticed a, um, a similarity between growth in created likeness and growth in redeemed likeness. Here's a similarity between them. They all require relationship. Relationship with God, relationship with other people. Every interaction that you have with another person where you can actually grow is by definition a, relate, a relationship. The nature of your relationship with someone affects what you receive and what you give to one another. But if you want to see someone changed, if you want to see someone get better at piano, what are you going to need to do? Well, you're Generally, you're going to have to get them alongside someone who's good at piano and they're going to have some kind of relationship. If you want to see someone get wiser, what are you going to have to do? Well, you've got to get them alongside someone who's wiser. You get them alongside God and you get them alongside the person who's wiser and they learn stuff from them. Like this is like just growth and maturity 101. It's, it's about relationship. It's about relationship between you and God and relationship between you and other people. And the reason why relationship is central to you growing up is because it's in the centre of how God made you. God actually made you relational by nature. And when you switch off to relationships around you, you just get immature. Now, here's the catch. Both filthy water... And clean water comes through relationships. Anyone know what I'm talking about? It's, it's like if relationality for you is the pipe through which goodness comes, in a fallen world it's also the pipe through which bad stuff comes as well. And that makes it really quite difficult sometimes. You know, you, you know these scriptures, right? 1 Corinthians 15.33, bad company ruins good morals. Who's ever said that to their kids? Bad company corrupts good character. Who's ever heard it said to them? It does, right? Why? Because that's the portal through which goodness or badness comes. 
You hang out with bad people, you get in a relationship with bad people, evil people. As uh, Psalm 1, 1 says, it's going to affect you. And maybe some of you are affected. You're not with good people. You're not with wise people as much as you need to be and you just get affected by that. I don't even know how to say this guy's name, but what he says is good. Bucky and Eerie or something, I'm just going to call him that. Evil influence is like a nicotine patch. You cannot help but absorb what sticks to you. The people that you hang out with shape you for good or for ill. You can't avoid it. So what do we want to do? We actually want to get alongside people who are going to shape us for good and grow us up. Now, some of you go, do I have to? I, I reckon I'd be okay if I... Uh, I reckon I could grow up if I was on a deserted island in the middle of the Pacific. And I'd say, really? Could you, could you grow up into absolutely everything that God has for you? I was at a uh, conference down uh, in Brisbane on Friday with Mark Deva and um, he made that comment. He said, put someone on a deserted island on their own and you won't be able to identify any of the fruit of the Spirit that Galatians 5 talks about. What's that? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These invisible qualities that are signs of someone growing up and maturing, just can't do them in isolation. And aside from that, humans just get messed up when they don't have other people contributing to them. And that's because people are relational by nature. It's because information doesn't actually transform people alone. It needs to come through the context of relationship. Now, transition with me here. How did Jesus grow family likeness? It's just a natural place for us to end up. How did Jesus grow family likeness? Mark 3, verse 13 to 19, I've pulled out the last bit of it to make it shorter up there, but you can go and read it. And he went up on the mountain, Jesus, and called to him those whom he desires, and they came to him. And he appointed 12, the 12 disciples, whom he also named apostles. Listen to this. So that, can you read those next words in beige there? It's like, is there not a shortcut? Can we just like have an on online course to get this sort of stuff done? It's like, well, we could just Facebook Live it. Maybe Jesus could just have like a, um, a GoPro like on his forehead, you know, and people could just kind of Skype in or something. Like he could just be live around the place and they could learn that stuff. It's like, no, he's not doing any of that. It's like, what is he doing? He's choosing 12. What are those 12 going to do? Oh, it's going to be with him. Well, how long for? Like just the afternoon or the night? No, like three years. Like how much? Well, pretty much all the time. You know, eating together, hanging out together. Look at what it says next. They might be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the 12. What, what is Jesus doing? He's saying, you 12, come really close to me be with me, 
I'm going to give you some stuff to do, but you're mostly you're just going to be with me. And that's how the family likeness is actually going to grow by being with him. Look at the early church in the book of Titus chapter 2. And they talk about family likeness. Listen to this. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love and in steadfastness. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behaviour, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. And then as if to finish the opening section there, in verse 2, it goes on in Titus to say, likewise urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Who's doing that? Well, the older men. Do you see what's going on? You get the older men who are not as silly and stupid. They're way wiser. It's like they need to get alongside the young guys and teach them some stuff. While that's happening, let's get the older women and let, let them be, be with the younger women to teach them how to do some stuff. This is like family likeness 101 in the early church. And, and how did it all start? It all started with Jesus. relationship you need to be with people you need to make an effort to do this you know i hear a lot of people say oh we just we want things to be organic have you ever noticed how much work an organic garden takes like it just takes a lot of work a lot of work so it's not going to be enough for us to just kind of go out of church today and just go yeah yeah no we need to start getting alongside each other and then nothing happens no one grows the young men the young women don't don't get grown up, they don't get mature, the old men are just off doing their own thing. Like that's, that won't do. That will not do for the project. And you know how I know? It will not do for the project because it's not what God wants for us. That's not the kind of interrelationships that God actually wants for us. We need to be a church where we are with people and God is using us to grow one another. Jesus said to go and make disciples, right, in Matthew 28. Go and make family and then make them look like family. (laughs) So how are you going to do that? This is the uh, quote from Lewis, which I um, paraphrased last week. Good things, as well as bad, you know, are caught by a kind of infection. If you want to get warm, you must stand near the fire. If you want to be wet, you must get into the water. If you want joy, power, peace, eternal life, you must get close to or even into the thing that has them. They are not a sort of prize which God could, if he chose, just hand out to anyone. They are a great fountain of energy and beauty spurting up at the very centre of reality. If you are close to it, the spray will wet you. If you're not, you'll remain dry. Once a man is united to God, how could he not live forever? Once a man is separated from God, what can he do but wither and die? It's the same thing, right? You want to grow up, you want to be alive, you want to be mature, well, you've got to get close to Jesus because he's the one that rocks being grown up and being mature. And you've got to get close to other people that he's grown in the church and, and have it rub off on you. So if I could give you homework... 
I would say this. I think one of the things that you should do is to find someone to invest in you and someone for you to invest in. Simple. Someone to invest in you and someone for you to invest in. Here's the argument. I think more pieces in here. The text is going to be like about three, three point times the Roman by the end, but oh, we're almost done. End of series. The entry gate into discipleship is death to self and unqualified allegiance to Jesus. That's where we started. Death to self hits a reset button and restores us to the family and restores the family likeness. The next thing after that is the task of a child is to grow up. The next step after that was, and that's where we're finishing today, the way that you grow up is you be relationally connected to people that can help you to grow up. God and other people. Now, it would be awesome if everyone in this room went out this week and prayed about it, and this is what I'm asking you to do, and you prayed about finding someone who can invest in you and someone that you can invest in. But I know in churches that it's just not going to happen for a whole bunch of you. Because some of you are going, well, I don't even know what to invest in. What do I do with them? And I feel awkward about connecting with them. So the project, we're here to perform community services for people in trouble. So uh, you know what we're going to do? We're going we're gonna to set up a structure that's going to help you and we'll have some recommended resources you could use to actually get alongside people and grow people. Now, is that the predominant way that we want to see people growing each other in the family likeness? No, it's not. It'd be great if everyone just went out and just nailed that. If you don't have it nailed already, just go out and nail it. That's actually best case scenario. But I just know from my time in the church that people need structure and they need support. So we're, we're going to be working on that over the next little bit. So next Sunday, um, Nathan's going to be away and I'm going to be worshipping Jesus on Fraser Island with some other fellas. Um, Nathan's going to be preaching next week on what family likeness looks like specifically inside, like for parents. Like what's some really practical stuff about how you can help your kids to grow up into the family likeness. And then we're actually going to do a, um, a four-part Easter series after that okay and the first regular Sunday at the beginning of term two I'm going to tell you what the structure is to support people getting alongside one another and growing in family likeness and helping others to grow in family likeness okay so you actually have I don't know a month almost all right to pray about it it would be super cool I would be so blessed if you came up to me and you said, Pete, I'd like to just hang out with you a little bit and just learn whatever I can from you. That would be cool, all right? I do that to other people. At the moment, I'm, I get supervised twice a month. And you know what it is? It's me going in and saying, I'm not wise enough in this area. I don't understand how to do this stuff. Uh, I give them an agenda about what I'd like to cover because there's just stuff I don't know. And you know what we do? They go through and they help me to learn. They help me to grow. Um, that sort of stuff happens all the place, all, all, the, all, the, all the way around me. And I just, I just want more of it because I need to keep growing. 